Money Talk is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex to be considered before becoming a client of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Securities are offered through HBEC Incorporated, member FINRA and SIPC. Annex Wealth Management and HBEC are unaffiliated. This program may contain forward-looking statements which may not come true. Please consult with an advisor about your specific situation. Taking the mystery out of investing with answers to your financial questions. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald from Annex Wealth Management on WTMJ. Team Tech Trust in a winter wonderland. This is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. Here we go, Saturday, January 19th. I'm Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure, Danny. N- nice boots. And you too, Mr. Spano. How yes, are you guys? We're doing great. Thanks for having us. Let, let's talk about this week because this week was the fourth week in a row that things have looked really good. And if anything, this is the latest Santa Claus rally, which is pretty darn good, right? Yeah. So, you know, we, we are definitely... Had a couple of weeks in a row that was good. Uh, yesterday, we, the Dow closed up 336 points. Uh, and that is in particular because we have three things that are going on right now. We have uh, earnings season, which has been good so far. We have saw that the Fed has taken notice uh, of what is going on in, in the equity markets. And number three, it looks like there is some talk of a trade piece going on. And so we'll see if these three topics continue to go on throughout the quarter. Yeah, no, I feel very good about what we've seen from the S&P. In fact, it's up almost 15% in the last 15 trading days. It's one of the strongest rallies we've seen since the financial crisis in 2008, 2009. And Friday's strength, I think, was really surprised people because it came out that China may be willing to increase imports from the U.S. by over a trillion dollars over the next six years, which effectively would bring the trade deficit between the U.S. and China to zero. They'd wipe it out. And that was huge news yesterday. Not to get too deep into the weeds, but we look at the S&P 500 far more than we do in the Dow Jones. And the S&P 500 closed on Friday over the 50-day moving average. And that's kind of a big deal. Well, it is. And, you know, I remember a month ago, we were talking about all this algorithmic trading and, and pressuring the market on the downside as it broke key technical levels. Well, the algorithms also can buy stocks as well. So, you know, perhaps this was an overreaction, too, because it really hasn't been substantiated. It's still a a moot point as to what's going to occur. But the S&P was up almost 3% for the week. The Dow was up 3%. And defensive issues like utilities and consumer staples clearly lagged. You know, you go and you look at where we were on Christmas Eve and, you know, there was, you know, the statements were printed and people are going to start getting their statements and they're going to see a lot of uh, red ink from where they were a quarter earlier. But I went and I just took a sampling of some of the Dow stocks, for example. Boeing has gone from $300 to $360. That's about a 20% move. Goldman Sachs from 156 to 200 That was about a 17% move. So we saw a lot of positive moves that have happened since Christmas Eve. And so the market Markets are probably going to start to show that, and the statements are going to start to show that as well. Well, yeah, I mean, we talked last week about 2018 be a very tough year for a balanced portfolio, where over 90% of asset classes were actually down uh, the first time that had happened since 1901. You know, that's a that's a tough environment, and, and, you know, I think what really happened last year was we were just recalibrating for slightly higher interest rates after a long period where interest rates were unnaturally low. And we talked a little bit about the Federal Reserve and the fact that they're taking notice of what was happening, and maybe they're going to pause. We saw the original estimate, these things called the dot plots, which is a projection by the Fed themselves, 
and they were originally at four rate raises in 2019. Then they went to three. Now they're at two. We even saw some uh, opinion maker come out and say they might, they might even lower rates if the facts bear themselves well, the, out. Yeah, that's what the Fed fund futures are indicating. The Fed fund futures actually indicate zero rate hikes this year and a small possibility of a rate decrease towards the end of 2019. What have you seen trend-wise in the earnings at all? A lot of financials came in? Yeah, the financials were, were more or less uh, pretty positive. Frankly, that group had been just hammered in December to the point where the stocks were incredibly cheap. Goldman Sachs, for example, which historically has traded roughly two times book value, is trading at seven-tenths book value. That's one-third the multiple that Goldman has traded at in the past. So when they reported a good quarter, obviously the stock moved a lot, and that's a big component of the Dow because it's a high-priced stock. Uh, Morgan Stanley reported a, a decent number. Citicorp actually missed but still went up because, again, the stock was just too cheap. So the bar had been lowered for a lot of these companies going into earnings season. I think that's going to be true for the remainder of earnings season as well. Now, whether this advance has kind of taken a stone a little thunder from these companies, so that remains to be seen. Derek Felsky, our chief investment officer. We're going to take a break. Going to keep everybody up to date here. We're sitting at uh, 20 degrees at 1013 at WTMJ and Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. Annex Wealth Management with offices in Elm Grove, Mequon, Lake Country, Appleton. Our newest branch is downtown in inside the Fister Hotel. So if you work, if, if you live somewhere else, but then you work downtown, we're making it even easier to meet with you. And then Annex Everywhere, if you can hear this radio station, we can use simple technology, simple secure technology, and talk to you and uh, get that going. Get that free portfolio analysis. You can get that going at AnnexWealth.com. Money tips that don't cost a thing. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Team Tech Trust, Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, WTMJ, AnnexWealth.com is our website. Our number 262-786-6363. Get that free portfolio analysis. Also sign up for Axiom, which is our weekly newsletter. And take a look at that nice, gussied up website, huh? Oh, a nice job. Our yeah, brand new website. Yeah. They did a nice job. Yeah. So, guys, are we seeing enough or hearing enough about 2019? What are the, what are the smart guys thinking? And I'm looking at you, Derek. You know, the bar has been lowered for 2019. Several months ago, we were looking for the S&P 500 of about 10% earnings growth. And that number has been ratcheted down to about seven. And obviously, some of that is uncertainty over trade. Some of that was thoughts that the Fed might generate a, a, a slowdown or a more significant slowdown than we're seeing currently. You know, I will point out, like the consumer confidence index has been really high for a long period of time, fell to a two-year low this month. So so clearly, the economy is, is softening. But the thing that I think most investors don't fully appreciate is despite the fact that that fiscal policy went in place at the beginning of last year, it's actually have more of an impact in 2019 than it did in 2018. For example, in my case, you know, I was always getting banged by the AMT, and I'm not going to get hit by the AMT, and that that will make me feel much much better about perhaps spending on vehicles but, or you other know, things. But high paid guys like you, you know, right? So you should talk to your boss. But high paid, I, I have guys no problem paying higher taxes, Dave. Anytime you're willing to increase my salary, I'm game for it. So, yeah. high, so no, but really, there's this thing called salt, and it's a big deal for lots of people. In fact, uh, we saw this week that the high tax states like New York and New Jersey were losing lots of their residents, and they're going to low state or no state tax states like Florida. And that is bearing out. And people are doing that. One of the reasons they have been asked on the way out the door 
is why is it? And because they've lost the SALT deduction, in other words, their ability to deduct their real estate taxes. That's individuals, just not even businesses, right? That, well, that, that, that's that, true, but I'm yeah. talking about individuals, yep. so we're seeing that as well. Yep. To, going back to the economy, you know, we had a blowout jobs report uh, last month. It was really good. We've got a wage growth that's very good, 3.2% year over year. GDP is positive, and all of those things suggest that we are not going to have a recession in 2019, and that's a big deal to equity investors. Yeah, I mean, the things we always talk about in terms of a bear market or a Fed policy mistake and or a recession, and, and many market participants were a little bit nervous of what the Fed was doing. You know, the, the yield curve was on the verge of inverting, which essentially is a recognition by fixed income investors that the Fed may be making a policy error. And of course, when you have the uncertainty over trade, you've got companies that are potentially thinking about moving plants, you know, away from China towards Vietnam or Malaysia. So there are all sorts of cross currents that were affecting the markets into the end of last year. But I'm really hopeful that, you know, over the next couple of weeks, we'll get good earnings reports, we'll make some progress on trade. And given the correction in stock prices over the last, you know, six to nine months, stocks are much cheaper now than they were at the beginning of last year. And there's no question, and you and I uh, talk a lot about, you know, where we are and where we're going in 2019. But, you know, there are a lot of adverse developments that could happen, right? You know, certainly Brexit is is forefront. The things with China could go backwards. You know, the, the market rallied on anticipation of a deal. Clearly, there's the Democrats talking about impeachment. And, of course, earnings growth may roll over, and that's a big deal. And the reason why it's a big deal, Derek, is because they're going to have comparisons year over year. Yeah, they're going to be tougher comparisons. But, you know, remember when we were gathered together on Christmas Eve and the Dow was down 650 points, and we said, well, what multiple is the S&P now trading at uh, given 2019 estimates. And at that time, people were looking for 9% earnings growth. So Dave, you and I just did a little bit back of the envelope calculation, just said, okay, what if earnings next year are flat? In other words, no growth at all. And we came to a multiple of about 14 and a half times, which is a below average multiple, assuming estimates are that much lower than are actually currently forecast. Great point. And you look at the S&P 500 total earnings, and we talk about that a lot on the show. And uh, in 2018, it was 160. If you took all the companies in the S&P 500 and added them up, 2019 are expected to be around 170. And so that's what you're talking about when you put a multiple on that number. And that's how you get to the, to the S&P value. Right. And that number is, is down from 178 just a few months ago. And I'm sure a lot of analysts are just sitting there. They sharpen their pencil. They assume that whatever trends exist in the fourth quarter will go on into next year. Now, our feeling all along has been their margin assumptions are a little bit too high because no input costs are going up. We know interest costs are going up and we know wages are going up. So that will squeeze margins a little bit. But if you're assuming flat and you still get to a fair valuation, I think that's a reasonable place to look as an entry point for equities. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer, and uh, Dave Spano here for the rest of the hour. Coming up next, uh, look at destination retirement. Are we there yet? It is a brand new retirement workshop that is coming to every single uh, Annex Wealth location, and that includes Elm Grove, Mequon, Lake Country, Appleton, and downtown inside the Fister. So Elm Grove is first, and then we're going to be downtown. Details on that next on Money Talk on WTMJ. From simple investments to stock advice, back to Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Team Tech Trust know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Joining me is Deanne Phillips, our Director of Client Learning and Development at Annex Wealth Management with, bum, 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 announcing a new workshop, 2019. What is it, Deanne? Destination Retirement. 
Are we there yet? Oh, nice. On our road trips when I was a kid, we weren't really allowed to ask, are we there yet? Because we kind of knew we weren't. <laughs> and my parents usually would say, no, but we're on the way. Is that kind of sort of what we're doing here? Well, we're we're getting of. on the way. Right. Kids ask that question because they're impatient, right? And kids have a different sense of time right. than adults. And, and maybe there's some anxiety. Or, you know, in retirement, we might ask that same question. And we do. Am I here yet? Am I ready to retire? Can I retire? And there's the same kind of anxiety that goes with a road trip, too. Do I have my resources packed? Do I have everything I need? Do I have the right vehicle to get me there? Are my investments right? Am I going the right place? What will I do in retirement? <laughs> Am I in the car heading there? So, <laughs> Am I going to the right destination? Right? Deanne, let me ask you this. When does somebody ask this question? That's a really great question, Danny. So I've always said that you start asking it when you start hitting some milestones, and they really are age-related for many people. Sure. You know, We hit the age of 50, and all of a sudden, you can put more aside in retirement. And you start thinking, gee, I'm at that golden age where I can do more for retirement. Well, when is my retirement? That might be the first time some people start thinking, when might I retire? Okay. And once you made that decision, you don't really want to go back on that decision. You're <laughs> heading somewhere, right? You're, you're right, Jenny. We don't want to have to go back. Guess what age is the average age of retirees in America? 64. You'd think so, right? It's actually earlier. It's 63. And yet 50% of those people end up going back to work in some capacity. Now, that can be for a plethora of reasons. I'm hoping for their sake it's not mostly because they have to, but with poor planning, that might be the case. However, planning goes beyond just the financial planning. It's really, what will I do in retirement? I'm sure we all know people who have been excited to retire, done that countdown, done everything in like four months. They've cleaned their closets out, played as much golf and tennis as they can, and watched a lot of TV, read the books they wanted to read, and then they're back at work. Fine. Just give me that chance. Do it enough that you're bored. Kind of. You know, there are different personalities. Just because we're a leader in the workplace doesn't mean we would stop being a leader in retirement. So we have to give thought to that. And that who we are in retirement also really drives not only what we'll do and who we are, but where we'll live also. Think about it. If you're a person that needs a lot of social interaction and your spouse does also, maybe you are leading toward moving into a retirement community ultimately. All of these factor into the financial plan. Dean Phillips is here talking about our new workshop, which is Destination Retirement. Are we there yet? So what if they are there? Well, again, they need to figure out where they go from there and if they're taking the right path. If they're there and it's early, that's a different planning process. So if they're under the age of 65, before the age of Medicare, we have to think about health care. We have to plan for what we call a health care bridge to get us through retirement. So there are definitely mistakes people make when they retire early and considerations they don't make, such as, can I COBRA from work? Uh, do I go to the exchange? How do I compare the two? What will be my best cost-efficient way of covering my health care for myself and maybe also a spouse until we hit that age of 65. What we're talking about is efficient planning, and that's what we do with Annex Wealth Management. Well, that's absolutely right. And, you know, in retirement, I think one thing that we're all looking for is a little more stability. I mean, if you think about it, especially the younger generation now, don't always stay with the same job all their life, right? They might job hop a little bit, or, you know, I've, I've met several people that in their 60s, maybe they were downsized, and it's hard to get another job when you're in your mid-60s, and maybe that led to an early retirement. So that's stability. 
as well as being a, maybe a little less stressed, mm-hmm. right, in retirement is very important. But there are different ways to build that stability. We're looking for stability in our tax situation. You know, are you or could you end up overpaying taxes? Stability for those we love and those around us. You know, have we maintained and, and established a good estate plan? Are our beneficiary designations accurate? So there are continuing decisions that we need to make, actually all the way through retirement also. These are kind of the questions when people ask, am I going to be okay? That's exactly right. Ultimately, we could be retired for as long as we worked. Let that sink in for a moment. So you've been accumulating, accumulating, accumulating for 30 years, and then you retire. You could have another 30 years in retirement where those assets have to last. So another part of your stability in retirement is continually looking and addressing your risk and that asset allocation. You know, do I have enough money set aside in lower risk vehicles to cover my needs, the things that I have to have to survive. And then we also want to carve out in retirement those wants as well, our desires. What are the things that now we have free time we want to do? This is that phrase I hear called to and through, right? You get to retirement, but then you need to get through retirement. Yep. You have to navigate your car till you get to retirement and beyond for sure. Destination Retirement, Are We There Yet? It's our new workshop. My question, where and when? Well, we're going to have it at our Elm Grove headquarters on January 31st from 6 to 8 p.m. There is no cost to this workshop. Um, You can sign up. You can bring up to a couple of friends if you'd like or a significant other for sure. But it does fill up. And we are doing this in a little bit of a different style. So we will actually be having workbooks. So there'll be a nice takeaway where people can fill out their own information and kind of do a self-readiness check. So because of that, we want to keep the number limited. So I would suggest you go to AnnexWealth.com under the event tab and sign up as soon as possible. So it's January 31st at our Elm Grove office. We will also be giving it again on February the 6th down downtown at our new office at the Fister. Thank you, Deanne Phillips. Again, complete details at AnnexWealth.com. Get professional help with your portfolio. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Team Tech Trust, Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management. It is Saturday, January 19th. AnnexWealth.com is the website. Get that free portfolio analysis. I'm Danny Clayton. Dave Spano still here. Derek Felscare, Chief Investment Officer. And Mandy Nowashinsky. Hey, Mandy. Hi. Nice boots. Did you run inside today? Yeah, yeah. With the snow? Okay, let's do Ask Annex. You can submit your questions at AnnexWealth.com slash Ask Annex. Uh, just look for that tab on our brand new website. This is a big one. You ready? My wife and I run a small business in Wisconsin. We're looking for options to invest funds that are in the business. The two of us are the only employees we file as an S corporation. We use our bank for the checking account and short-term cash in savings. There's additional money we'd like to get invested, most likely in an index fund, but I don't see too many options where an account can be opened under the tax ID number of a business. Are there any regulations that limit a small business from opening mutual funds or brokerage accounts? Any tax implications to be concerned with? Oof, Mandy. It's a great question. And the first question becomes, um, if this money is for your business, do you need it in the next 12 months for your business? If you do, you probably shouldn't be investing it in the market. You do have the option within an S-Corp to invest in mutual funds, stocks. You have to be careful about how much you invest. There are rules. But like I said, you got to make sure first that you, you've got enough cash to operate your business. So let's talk about the first part of the question. She said they were an S-Corporation. Correct. Let's clear that up for everybody. Sure. So what an S-Corporation is, it's a flow-through entity. So let's say we start a business, whatever it may be, an accounting business, 
I make $100,000 net in my business. That income flows out every year to my individual tax return and gets taxed to me as an individual. So it's not taxed at both the corporation level and the individual level. Correct, just at the individual level. And so she's asking to take some of that money that in, that's in a pass-through organization and hold it within the organization and invest it. The IRS is going might have a couple of questions. Right, and that's why personal holding corporations is one of the things you look at. Again, if you're doing short-term, trying to get a little bit of yield off of a short-term amount within the S-Corp, that's okay. But most likely what should be done is the shareholder, in this case, should take a distribution right. out of the S-Corporation, put the money in their name, and then invest it. The, the big takeaway here is the formation of this kind of corporation is a liability protection and not a tax protection. Exactly. And so that, that's the big takeaway. I don't think I had joined Annex yet last year during tax season. When does No Fun Mandy start? When does, <laughs> when does she get stressed with it? Right about, it, now. It, no. right about now. Get, we're getting no. close. We're getting no. close. Got it. Okay. Uh, lightning round. We got one for you. Uh, Jeff texted in last week and we were busy with one, but this one's for you, Derek. Is it possible to formulate a portfolio that does not include the defense industry, pharmaceuticals, or corporate agriculture? Well, it really depends on what you're trying to accomplish. If it's an all-equity portfolio, it's very easy to do that. You just look up what industries these various companies are in and avoid those that you don't want to invest in. If you're owning mutual funds or ETFs, it's a little bit more problematic because defense stocks, pharmaceutical stocks, and corporate ag companies are all in the S&P 500, so you'd probably have to steer clear of that. So you might have to look at sectors, you know, for example, by the tech sector or the industrial sector, but ignore health care or industrials and that sort of thing. So there are all sorts of ways to sidestep that. But again, the answer clearly is to avoid those sectors. You would have to have control of the security selection, and that is going to come either in owning individual securities or in exchange-traded funds that are sector-specific. Right, because an active manager, it's very hard to tell what, what they're doing in the portfolio. You typically don't find out about what they own until 45 days after a period, a closure period. So, yeah, I think that's exactly right, Dave. Each of those sectors, defense, pharmaceuticals, or corporate agriculture, is that a social reason, do you think, where those we'd came have in to before? Ask him, we'd have yeah, to ask him yeah. what he, you know. But there could be because it's, it's they're commodity-related okay. uh, and, you know, in the subject to interest rate fluctuations. Okay. That's Ask Annex. We are wide open for your questions. Uh, AnnexWealth.com. Just look for that Ask Annex tab. Love to hear from you. Love to uh, get back to you. And if you've got any questions, uh, 262-786-6363, and we'll get that going. Uh, 1040 at WTMJ. Got a couple of calls, people wanting to know when destination retirement, are we there yet, which is our brand new workshop that's coming up. They just missed the date. So January 31st, we'll be in our Elm Grove office. February 6th, we'll be at our Fister location, and that's downtown. So again, 31st in Elm Grove and the 6th at the Fister location. You can get all the details at AnnexWealth.com. Time is money. Make the most of yours with Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference, Team Tech Trust. There's been a lot of talk about the partial government shutdown, which has caused an interruption of income streams and paychecks that will be delayed. Housing, groceries, utilities, medical bills, they all need to get paid. In this conversation, we're going to talk about options you might consider when facing a temporary loss of income. Now, at the end, we're going to talk about proper planning so that if, if or when it happens again, you'll be prepared. Randy Winkler is Manager Financial Planning at Annex Wealth Management. He's also a CFP. Planning runs deep in this guy. Welcome back, Randy. Thanks, Danny. Happy to be here. Let's talk about a sudden loss of income. What are the first steps somebody should consider if this happens? Well, one of the first things to do is to review expenses. First thing. Yes, because yeah. you've got some discretionary expenses and non-discretionary 
clearly have to keep paying your mortgage and putting gas in your car and eating food. But you might want to take a look at, do you need to go out to eat? Do you need to go to the movies? Can you scale back on a few things? It's non-discretionary. You really don't have a, a choice of. You've got to have those covered. Discretionary, you've got discretion over whether you do them or not. Do you have Netflix? Do you go to the movies? You know, Some of those things might have to be uh, temporarily put on the back burner um, when you're in a financial crisis. You mentioned that you have to pay a mortgage or you have to pay rent. What about reaching out to a mortgage lender or a, or at least a landlord? That's actually a great suggestion. Never hurts to ask. You'd be surprised how many people are really afraid to go and ask a question where how bad is it if they say no? Sometimes you can contact your mortgage lender and they can, depending on your situation, but uh, definitely contact the landlord, explain your situation. I mean, you may have a great landlord, very understanding, or maybe not. They have to pay their mortgage too. A big one though is credit cards. People are terrified of calling to ask about their credit card. I have a personal situation. I dated a woman a number of years ago, had a lot of credit card debt, and I said, well, we should call and see if we can make some arrangements, some consolidation, lower the interest rate. And she's like, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. I'm like, well, I'll do it for you as your representative. I called and put a you know, speakerphone, put on my official voice and asked, what can you do about this? And the one was at 24% interest. And they said, well, the best we can do is 13. Talked a little bit more and that was the best they could do, but they knocked off 11% with just asking the question. Another one, we were able to get a period without interest rates. You know, and one of them said, no, didn't hurt anything. But I mean, th- she was terrified to ask the question. It doesn't hurt to explore your options. Okay. So if you do need cash and you don't have it on hand, do you do things like, do you tap a home equity loan? I mean, where's the best way to kind of get that cash? Uh, home equity line of credit, personal line of credit, those are great things as well. Sometimes you can, you have to have those ahead of time if you were laid off. I'm not sure how they would look at the, you know, the government shutdown kind of situation, but typically you can't get a loan when you need a loan. One caution I have with that is it's not just another bucket of money to spend. If you've got your home equity line of credit, it can work great as a short-term emergency fund while you build up your cash, but you can't have spent it when you need it. In the case of a government employee where you are going to eventually get that paycheck, let's say they're, they're not completely completely furloughed, you just repay it back as quickly as possible. Right. Like you said, as quickly as possible, depending on your interest rates. Randy Winkler is here. He's manager of financial planning, Annex Wealth Management. He's also a CFP. We were talking about temporary loss of income, like say in the case of a government employee. If you have to tap retirement funds, which ones or how? Well, are there such things as hardships? There there are. There's uh, There are 401k loans, and I absolutely 100% hate them. Not a fan. Yeah, not a fan at all. I've, I'm sure there are situations where they've come in handy. I've never seen one personally. Just a couple of details on how they work. If you you put money into a 401k, it's coming out pre-tax out of your paycheck. And then when you take it out in retirement, you're taking it out and paying income taxes at that point. So let's say you're in the 24% tax bracket now, you don't pay that. And then in retirement, you take it out and you pay 12. If you take out a 401k loan, when you pay that back, you pay it back with after-tax dollars. So let's say you did this, you take out the loan, you're paying it back, after-tax dollars paying 24%. Then when you take it out in retirement, you're paying another 12. Not only is it's much, much worse than if you didn't do it at all. On top of that, where I've seen this happen very often, is let's say you get laid off. At that point, the loan comes due. So if you're under 59 and a half, not only are you liable for all of those income taxes, you have a 10% penalty on top of that. They're out there for a reason, but it's not another, it's not a line of credit to draw on. We're sliding down the scale of desirability. That's what we're doing. So we've talked about it before, the, the payday loan type things, the cash store type things. Those interest rates are so high. You really should avoid that if you can. Yeah, those payday loans, the rates are so high. I mean, if that 
that cannot be your best option. Things like side hustle. I mean, people drive for Lyft, they drive for Uber, maybe they take part-time work. Yeah, you can get very creative. If you think about what you like to do, what hobbies you have, what services you have, you play an instrument, maybe you can do lessons. A lot of people have gone through a financial crisis and come out with a new career. Sell stuff? Oh, yeah. You, eBay and uh, garage sales. And great time to, and be sure. to, to right-size your house. Let's talk about getting ready for this the next time, right? You should have three to six months of expenses. A lot of times people think it's income. You need three to six months of expenses. And it seems like an overwhelming number, but you just got to start. Put away $10 a week and you see that building up. It becomes like a snowball. It really helps you know that you, you've got it covered if something comes up. You don't have to worry. You don't have to scramble. You don't have to do any of these options to get through the crisis. You don't want to make quick decisions that you might regret. Correct. You can go to your emergency fund. That's what it's for. But remember, this is is your most boring money that you have. If you're going to a party and talking about your emergency fund, you probably did something wrong. This is something that is just sitting there. It has to be accessible. It's not in the market. I wouldn't even put it in a CD because if you need to break the CD, you're going to pay a penalty. You just have to be available. Put it in savings or in your checking account so you can get at it when you need it. It might be boring until moments like this. Correct. Randy Winkler, Manager of Financial Planning at Annex Wealth Management and the CFP. Thank you. Thanks, Danny. This was fun. Don't settle for less. This is Money Talk with Dave Spano and Mark Oswald on WTMJ. Know the difference. Team Tech Trust is Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management, Saturday, January 19th. Thanks for riding along with us. Get that free portfolio analysis and sign up for Axiom, our free weekly newsletter. You can check that out at AnnexWealth.com. So, guys, this past week, um, really kind of a titan, should I say a giant in the industry, Jack Bogle died. Tell me about him. So Jack Bogle was the founder of Vanguard and a very, very interesting man. He's often been called the father of indexing. And you look at the way that people invest these these days and the fact that passive investing, and you hear a lot about this through indexes and exchange-traded funds and so much capital that goes towards it, he was the father of that whole investing thesis. And his and first one was with the S&P 500. The right? S&P 500, yeah. and, and he had he was a very interesting man. First of all, he uh, was, was magna cum laude at, at Princeton. Economics graduated there in 1951 and started the, in the investment business. And he had, uh, he had a bad ticker. He had a bad heart. He had had, uh, I think, five five or six heart attacks and ended up having a heart replacement as well, but kept coming to work and kept doing his job. And he really brought integrity and common sense to, to this industry. And now you look at Vanguard as a complex and they manage a whopping $5 trillion, Derek. And you look at some of the, uh, the effects that even the way we construct portfolios today. No, years ago when I was a fund manager at American Century, I was on a panel with him and basically, you know, there are three or four of us who are active mutual fund managers and he was arguing that we wouldn't be able to beat the indexes and so on and so forth. And, you know, he had very good good points. And I guess when I think about him, I just think of him being very sort of straightforward and what he believed. Like he used to, to say that the way investment firms treated their clients was shameful, that mutual fund fees were larcenous, uh, that trying to beat the market was a fool's game, and that broker commissions were like highway robbery, kind of like what Ken Fisher says all the time about nosebleed fees associated with annuity contracts. And the thing about him, too, is that he didn't really believe the average investor could succeed as a trader. So, you know, as the index theme broadened and we started to see ETFs, now more and more people are trading these ETFs. They sometimes get away from the underlying value of the securities that they are meant to represent. And, and explain that, though, because that's important. Well, what I mean is, you know, for example, in December, we saw, say, the high-yield ETF, the fixed-income ETF.
ETF actually trade well below net asset value. And that's not a good deal for investors because essentially when that happens, that forces the company that created that ETF to actually sell illiquid security. So there can be times when those things are out of whack. The other thing- Out of whack means you see what the value is and the net asset value might be as much as 5% lower because they don't have the buyers. And so as the owner of that, you take that haircut. Oh, no, I've seen it. It can be as much as like 20% lower. Actually, that oncology ETF, which no longer exists, traded at a 25% discount to NAV in a single day. How, how do you like that? The other thing that was I found kind of interesting is this week it came out that women who trade less than men actually experience far better performance, which again validates many of the things that the Jack Bogle suggested. Uh, but, you know, at Annex, we believe in active management does have its place, particularly in areas like we just talked about, high income. You know, if we wanted to sell our high income mutual fund that we own, we would be selling it at NAV, not below NAV, and we'd be doing it at the close. And the reason why passive investing really has taken off and has had such success over the last decade is, in my opinion, because the Federal Reserve floated all boats. It's two things. It's it's the fact that you had really low interest rates and, and no corrections. So, you know, invariably, active managers will hold some cash. They need to do that as a buffer in case investors want to withdraw money. And, and the other reason, essentially, is it kept a lot of companies that probably would be distressed alive. You know, there are many companies in the Russell 2000, for example, that don't make any money. 37%. Right. So when, And with which is why we've always sort of tended to shy away from small caps to some degree. So if you think about that, if you can borrow money at a really low rate, that makes it much more likely you'll survive if you're earning no income. So the fact that Jack Bogle brought the sensible investing and reduced the friction by lower costs, I think are a great thing. But it's not the end all and be all. There's not a, it's not a binary decision. We think there's a place for exchange-traded funds, and we also think there's a place for active management. And in fact, Mr. Bogle suggested the same, he, because of the fact that 30% of their assets were actively managed, and he did support an advisor who operated under the fiduciary principle. In his mind, an actively managed fund isn't, shouldn't be charging 2%. It should be charging more like 50 basis points, because essentially, as the assets in these, is, these funds go up, the cost to manage doesn't go up nearly as quickly, so there are economies of scale that most fund companies are very reluctant to pass along to shareholders. And so the fact that he could bring some integrity to the financial system is a good thing, and he was very much in favor of the fiduciary rule, and some have even said it should be renamed the Bogle Rule. Good idea. Dave Spano, thank you very much. Uh, Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer, thank you very much for coming in and doing uh, Money Talk, Annex Wealth Management uh, for the uh, 19th. I'm Danny Clayton. That wraps things up. If you want to get a hold of us, it's easy. AnnexWealth.com, 262-786-6363. Really convenient locations for you. We're in Elm Grove, in Mequon, Lake Country, Appleton. Our newest location is downtown. So if you work uh, downtown, it's easy to meet with us. And then Annex Everywhere, if you can hear this radio station, we can uh, do business with you. It's just that simple at AnnexWealth.com. Have a great week. We'll see you in a week. Advice and opinions expressed during Money Talk are solely that of the hosts or guests of Annex Wealth Management and not WTMJ Radio or Good Karma Brands Milwaukee, LLC.